Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. verse 6. And if you're able physically, let's stand tonight out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. Repent, turn away from your idols. Turn your faces away from all your detestable things. Father, thank you tonight for your Word. For the truth of it, Father, pray, God, in mighty ways that you would shake the foundations of any belief system tonight that would be contradictory to your word. Lord, any compromise, any apathy, any indifference, Father, shake it loose in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of your Holy Spirit, convict us of anything, Lord, that is outside of your plan for our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title of tonight's message is, Turn Away From Them. And actually, it kind of goes in with what I, in my opening that I just had with you. When we, as believers, believe that we can do and say what we want to do in contradiction to God's word, and we, we don't believe, you know, uh, I've heard this uh, argument from people before. Well, you know, the Bible was passed down by, by flawed people, and, you know, it's just, uh, uh, you know, there, there's mistakes in it and all of these things. I'm sorry, you better go, you better get your facts right. This is what I want to tell you something that you and I cannot begin to comprehend. We serve an infinite God. We serve a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Not only that, part of his attributes is that he is omnipotent. Omnipotent means he is all-powerful. The all-powerful God of creation did an interesting thing. We're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament. When the Israelites had been in captivity, starting from Joseph coming, he didn't go into captivity. Joseph was a captive, went into captivity because of his brothers selling him, ends up being basically second in the line to Pharaoh. Only after the Pharaoh dies, they forget about where Joseph came from. Joseph dies. Do they turn the Israelites into slaves? That was the beginning of 400 years of slavery. 400 years of slavery, God raises up Moses to deliver God's people. Interesting thing, though. As the plagues unfold, Pharaoh is hell-bent in his lack of wanting to let this free labor go. And I don't care what happened. The more miserable it got as if he was hardened. It's interesting because you get about halfway through, Pharaoh hardens his heart, and then you get to this this turning point, I call it. And no longer is it Pharaoh hardening his heart. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So not only does God bring ultimately to the place where Pharaoh decides to let them go, God turns, remember this, Pharaoh was godless as were the Egyptians. God favorably disposes the Egyptians' hearts to the Israelites, with which then the Israelites plundered the Egyptians, meaning the Egyptians are throwing the kitchen sink and everything else at them, saying, hey, take all this, you need all of it. 
And when they leave, they have taken everything, the riches and all that Egypt holds. The Israelites are leaving with it. Let me ask you a question. There's no way God could give us an untainted word of God, can he? Let's just say that all the writers of Scripture were heathens. You don't think God could put the word of God in a heathen's mouth and allow him to write the word he didn't. These were godly people inspired by the Holy Spirit. But God could have done that the same way that God favorably disposed the Egyptians to the Israelites. This is nothing for God. Well, what happened when the canons, you know, when they sat down at the end, uh, you know, decided which books to put in it? I'm sorry, please. I, I don't know what God you're serving, but it's not the same one I'm serving. Because God doesn't even have to think about it to make sure that from Genesis to Revelation, only what God wanted in the Bible was going to be in there and not one word more. And if you don't believe that, I'm just going to tell you, I feel sorry for you. I'm serious. I'm, I say that in all sincerity and all seriousness. I, I feel bad for you. This is what I know tonight. I don't doubt any of it. Please understand this, and I say this once again with all sincerity. If I did not believe that from the beginning to the end was all the 100% inspired word of God, inerrant I would walk out of this church and you would never see me again because I would be done with all of it. If every bit of this is not true, I'm done, church. I'm done. I'm not wasting five minutes the precious time that I have left of my measly life. I don't have time to play games with you. If I'm playing games, I sure enough not doing it at Longview Baptist Church. I'm going to hit the big leagues if that's what it's about. I'm not in this church because... I need something. I don't have anything else to do. I'm here because I have been called by God to preach the full counsel of God's word to a people that God stuck me in here just felt like the Israelites in bondage in 2008 when God put me in here, a small group of them. And God stuck me here, and God had a purpose and a plan for me, and God knew this plan way, way better than I could ever understand. And I'll never forget, I was sitting on the front porch of the old building waiting for people to get here. I was by myself as I looked out over that field. There was nothing here then. Y'all remember it was quiet. There weren't all these cars going up and down this road. There wasn't a car every once in a while that come up and down this road. But I sat here and I'm telling you, I saw a vision plain as day. I told my Uncle George when he walked up looking like a clown at my uh, ordination. He walked up and I said, Uncle George, I can see the houses everywhere. He said, I do. He said, I can see them everywhere myself. I knew what God was going to do. And see, we still haven't seen the rest of them yet. But I'm telling you, mark my words, they're coming. I know they are. Because I know what God, day one, was doing. God was preparing for a mighty work. We're still preparing for the mighty work that God has in store. We can't even begin to understand what God has in store. You see, what I'm so thankful is that we do have a God that truly is omnipotent. We truly have a God that is infinite, and I recognize that my place in this, along with yours, is that we are finite. We can understand how God can make a person's mind predisposed or a group of people that God had writing God's word that didn't even know each other over thousands of years difference in time that they were writing it with one storyline all the way through. The first thing we do is buy that lie. Did God really say, as the enemy did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, 
there's got to be flaws in there. There's got to be errancy in there, you know, because, you know, uh, uh, Paul really didn't mean that uh, we should live this way and we should do He was dealing with them back then. That doesn't apply to us. You contextualize Scripture, throw it all out, church. If you think that they were dealing with an issue in there, and oh, we don't have to abide by that because they were dealing with a specific issue during that time. You are buying the lie, hook, line, and sinker, and you might as well make yourself a mat on the door because you are falling for idolatry, plain and simple. What's the idol? The idol of rejecting the truth of God and his word. And you don't even understand how far down that slippery slope will take you. You will justify every sinful act and action in your entire life. You better understand that God's word must be taken in all of it and the context of it all being true from Genesis to Revelation. And if you don't believe that, I would, I would beg you to get on your face before God and say, God, help my unbelief. We see that in New Testament, don't we, with some of the people that met Jesus. But in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 6 there again, let's go to the first part of it. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. And I'll stop right there. See, what was that happening is, again, idolatry. And the first thing I want to share with you tonight is this. Idolatry begins ever so innocently. That's the first thing I want to say tonight. It never begins with malice, meaning I want to serve an idol. I'm going to fashion one out of my 401k, my job. If people don't even know how they reveal their idols. I think I said this Wednesday night or last Sunday night. It's interesting how people fashion their idols in ways like coming into their pastor and saying, you know, I got an award this week for my 25 years. I've never been late. It's amazing. I can't believe it's such a neat thing. I'm going to show you a picture of it. Not realizing that they've not been on time at our church in six months. And they don't even see the irony in it when I look at them with a weird face. They go kind of cool, isn't it? I don't respond with what I want to say or what I'd say to my family. You can't show up to worship the God that sent his son to die for you and you're bragging about being at work for 25 years, five days plus a week on time? What's wrong with you? That's what I want to say because that's what I'd say to somebody in my family. Are you just dense or were you born like that? People don't understand, though. See, idolatry creeps in ever so subtly. It creeps in when you're the person that's helping do things and we're upset or bothered because somebody who has a lot of time doesn't show up and a person starts sharing about how frustrated they are that people don't show up and then two months later they're doing the same thing. The irony doesn't fall on me. I'm not your dad. I'm not the convicting force. You know what I do? God changed their heart. That's what I do. Because I realize that if I ever fall into that lifestyle of thinking like that, church, I won't be back. Because I will become so embittered and so angry. That's why I don't ever want to know what anybody gives. You know why? Because I can promise you most likely the majority of giving occurs with the lowest level of income earners in our churches or medium income earners. That that's actually statistically what it has been. Across the board, that usually occurs. The highest here give the lowest. In most churches, it may be different here. I don't even want to know. I'm just telling you statistically what I've heard from pastors, from the convention, and from many people involved in church financial stuff. They'll tell you that. That's why I don't ever want to have the enemy get a door in my life to allow the idol of bitterness to take root in my life. 
You know why? Because the only person that I'll stand accountable for one day is me. I don't need to be mad at somebody who's not being faithful to the Lord. That's not my battle to deal with. I'm not God. I'm not their dad. I am a person that loves the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And by the way, praying that I may never myself fall victim to the same actions. Because it's so easy to do. Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. But see, idolatry begins ever so innocently. We have to take every, that's why scripture, I firmly believe it says, take every thought captive, every thought captive to the will of Christ. I knew many years ago a pastor in our association who'd been preaching at a church. He was a kind of, he, he did interim work. And one day I, I met his brother. I didn't know his brother was another pastor. And the brother said to him, I said, hey, how's such and such doing? I said, has he been going to church? I said, no, he hadn't been pastoring at this church. He'd been pastoring at, and this is the, ready? Sorry, it's his brother. Says, oh, he never goes to church unless he's preaching at a church. I said, what? He said, oh, no, he will only go to church when he's preaching at a church. I said, are you serious? He said, I'm dead serious. He said, please pray for my brother because he's way off base. Sadly, he died. About three weeks later, never got a chance to go to a church and never got a chance to preach again. But I'll never forget the heartbreak of recognizing that's the height of deception. I can preach, but I will not be under the authority of any church body. That's why I always tell people that are traveling ministry and ministry, whether they sing or whether they do this, you know what I tell them? You better make sure you've got a home church. Because you'll fall victim to worshiping at the altar of self. You will have no accountability. You'll have no spiritual growth. Why? Because you are busy doing the Lord's work. If you know anybody in Christian ministry, you make sure to encourage them to have a home church and to be under accountability because actually it's much more dangerous when you're out there traveling week in and week out to fall victim to self-exaltation, self-worship. You don't have anybody holding you accountable. It's dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. But the second thing I want to share with you, all right, here we are. Verse 6 again, therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says, ready? Repent and turn away from your idols. So this is basically God's burning them up because of this idolatry. The elders have been scorched. The people have been scorched. God's just literally going through the ranks, but he's telling them, repent. Thing I want to share with you, recognizing, repenting, and turning is the only fix. You can read the Bible all day long. You can pray all day long. But if you're living in rebellion to God and you don't repent, you are at odds with God. Get used to being sensitive to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, but more importantly, listening to it. Somebody last week, where I'm at on Monday and Tuesday, was very unkind. And I'll be honest with you, I was mad. Didn't nobody knew it. I was, I was mad. I was treated very poorly. I didn't say nothing, just prayed about it, kept on doing my thing. Next thing you know, a person comes up and says, hey, I need to apologize to you. And I said, I love you, gave them a hug and said, I forgive you. That showed me the heart of this individual. They hurt somebody else later in the week. And the person texted me the other day because they were very hurt. And I said, let it go. Let God deal with it. They texted me back and said, hey, that person apologized to me and hugged me and told me they loved me. And I said, see, when you let God do it, that is what biblical 
restoration, and even in the world sense, God will do when you let God do it. See, it's really easy because I've known people, you ready? I've had a person apologize to me before and a family member saw it happen, came up to me and said, do you know that I have never seen my family member apologize for anything ever? And I said, see what God can do? When you let God have dominion, when you or I listen to the Spirit's conviction, that's what happens. But also there's a danger in Scripture. What is the danger? That the deceitfulness of sin will do what? Harden our hearts. When you're out of line, apologize. I don't care how hard it is for you to get those words out. Because if you don't, I will promise you, the next time, you'll hurt somebody easier. And you'll go around and your tongue will be like Scripture. It'll be a, an absolute sword that you will literally go about slapping people all to pieces, not being a source of healing and a source of hope. You will be a tool for the enemy and the deceitfulness of your sin and convincing yourself that you don't have the problem, it's everybody else. What will end up happening is you'll have yourself on such a high horse when you fall out and fall off of that horse, it's going to be almost impossible to turn the boat around. And if it does get turned around, it's going to be extremely painful and it's going to be an extremely long process that's very difficult to take because there's so many people that you'll have to go back and apologize for that it's going to be almost impossible just to remember the people that you need to go back and make things right. But when we keep ourselves sensitive to the Holy Spirit, when we do what it says in 14 right there, because that's a picture of God, the Holy Spirit's conviction, repent, turn away from your idols. Turn away from your idols. Turn your faces away from all those detestable things. Meaning, when you repent, you're turning in the other direction. When you're repenting, you realize that you have violated God's word. You've violated God's covenantal promises, what God has commanded you to do. And you recognize that you were wrong. God is the one that you violated. God is the one that you offended. And in first dealing with him, then you have the ability to go and make things right with those people. So recognize, re recognizing, repenting, and turning is the only fix. There is not another fix. God's telling his people here, turn, repent. Turn, repent. Turn, repent. There's no other option to be restored into fellowship with God than to turn and repent. You can say, well, I've, I, I, don't, I didn't mean what I said. I didn't mean what I did. You don't have to have malice aforethought to have sin in your life. You don't have to do, hey, listen, you know how many people right now are in the penitentiary because they did not mean to accidentally kill someone. But their actions caused a chain of events that took another person's life. You don't have to have malice of forethought to have something happen that can be unfixable. Doesn't take malice of forethought. When somebody does something that costs someone their life, what have they done? Taken someone's life. There's consequences for that. You don't have to mean the same way you don't have to have meant the statement you said to someone that hurt them. And don't even, by the way, this one well, they need to have thicker skin then. They shouldn't have been offended. That's their problem. You better stop right there. What you do then is tell someone what they should or shouldn't be offended by. If what you or I say hurts someone and they tell you that, 
you should, I don't care how juvenile you or I may think it is, you should with absolute sincerity say, I am so sorry, I would never have done that to hurt you. And I sincerely from the bottom of my heart love you and ask for your forgiveness because you and I have no right to tell them what they should or should not be offended by. If it hurt them biblically and they have let us know, we have an obligation to make right what we have wronged someone in. And that's another thing that I have seen very prevalent in our culture. If they're offended by that, that's their problem. I don't care if they don't like that. That's their problem, not mine. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Biblically, I can't tell you the number of people who've caused young people because I've heard it out of the mouths of young people. Things that they've seen, visiting houses or seen someone doing that they didn't know a person saw them doing. I have had to sit down with young people and say, there's nothing you can do right now because that person chooses to do what they're wanting to do and they don't care what it does or hurts others. And right now you just need to pray for them. That's the best thing that you can do. Sadly, there's been instances where there was nothing that I could do to help remedy a situation because someone had gotten to a position where they didn't care what anybody thought. They didn't care what their actions would cause. I actually uh, dropped in unexpectedly at a person's house just to spend time with them. People aren't even here now, so no one would know who this is. But I go over there, and uh, the person walks around, and they open a truck and shut it, and a big beer bottle pops off the back of the thing. And I said, hey, your, your uh, drink is spilling out back here. And they came back. And just for conversation's sake, I said, i got a question for you, because I know this person had a lot of young people around them. I said, you know, I used to be a person that battled alcohol. And I said, thank God he delivered me from it many years ago. And I said, this is not a heaven and hell issue. I just want to have a, a discourse with you, a conversation with you. I said, uh, imagine if me right now, having seen what I just saw, used this as the, the means with which I say, you know, I can do this and, and, and do it in moderation. Would you feel any responsibility if I left today, went up to the store and bought myself a suitcase full of alcohol and ended up going back to drinking and it, I lost the ministry, lost my family, and it ended up completely consuming me? Would you feel any, would you feel any, they said, I'd feel no guilt at all. Dead serious. And I just said, huh. I knew that was not a conversation to even take any farther. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, some young person sees that. Oh, I look up to such and such. I want to be like them, just like your pastor used to want to be like elders and deacons that I saw smoking in the stairwell outside of the church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Is it a heaven and hell issue? No. I know what scripture says. It's better to tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself in the ocean than to cause a little one to stray. Stumble. That's what I say. You can take that for whatever you want to take it for. But I know something. There's people caught in addictions right now that they watched modeled by the very people in their life that they looked up to. 
that have consumed those people, and I know in cases right now, have cost people their lives. This is not a message about alcohol tonight. What I'm talking about tonight is these things that we allow in our lives, these idols, and I'm saying plural, idols in plural, these things that we don't believe are any issue. It's not a big deal. That's their problem, not mine. It's all of our problems. There's things that I don't do right now because, God forbid, I cause a little one to stumble. There's things that are not heaven-hell issues right now that I avoid because I want my life to be one that will point others. I don't want to ever, ever be a stumbling block to anyone, adult, all the way down to cradle. I want to be an exemplification of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't want to have someone sit me down one day and say, hey, I did things that you did that I saw because I wanted to be like you that caused me great hurt, heartache, angst, and pain in my life and my family, and God forbid, destroyed me or almost did. I don't want to be that. We got to be careful because we got to turn away from them the things that potentially could be stumbling blocks for people that could potentially lead someone into idolatry imagine if you know hey man i'm just not you know things are so tight and tithing ain't my thing kids i'm just not like that and i don't believe that tithing's new really you want to do that do you really want to i think you need to do a whole lot of research before we get on a bandwagon of convincing someone that, hey, by the way, I'm the one that owns it all lock, stock, and barrel. Scripturally, investing in the kingdom is how the kingdom advances. Amen? I want to be a person that invests graciously in the kingdom work because I'm a product of the kingdom work, not in my family either. The reason that I even ended up being in ministry is because of a chance, I don't believe anything by chance, a divine encounter at a Walmart in Tullahoma, Tennessee when I was getting ready to be stuck in a wheelchair for four years. And I just happened with Emily at one of my doctor's visits. And I'm saying when I happen, I, I, there's no divine, it's divine encounters is what it is. And God led me to a person at Grace Baptist Church who saw and heard from our conversation the need that we had for firewood and I didn't even know that I had said it because when the man showed up at my house with a double axle trailer load wood heaped all the way up all the way around we had no wood emily was getting ready to have to start cutting wood herself i'll never forget i looked over at emily and said when i can get out of this house after this surgery i want to go meet these people because this is different than anything i've ever seen because of someone's obedience not only did god place us in that church but god called me in the ministry and do you realize i'm here tonight because of one man's obedience at walmart 20 years ago almost, 18, 19 years ago. See, that's what I want to be. I want to be the person that someone says, because of your faithfulness, God has done X in my life, not the other. I didn't go to church. I didn't stay in church. I didn't want anything to do with church because of that statement you made about, we don't have to go to church to be Christians or all these things that people say. God forbid, I don't want that church. I want to be the person that someone says, thank God for your stand-up, solid, sold-out testimony for the kingdom, not excusing away behaviors, attitudes, and actions 
You owned them. And because of that, today, I'm a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. So what do we do? When we see things that are contradictory to the kingdom work, recognize it, repent of it, turn because church is the only fix. We can, we don't have to listen. You can get in the car on the way home and say, you know what, I think he's full of it. I don't believe anything he said. I think he was just blowing smoke tonight. He didn't have nothing else to talk about. And I don't, I don't buy it. You don't have to. What I say again, I'm not your dad. I'm a man that loves the Lord, loves the word, and knows we're going to stand accountable for it one day. And just like I want to hear the full counsel and I want to hear the truth, I thank God that you want to hear likewise. So the thing becomes the question of what do we do with the truth that we hear? That's where I can't make the decision for you and you can't make it for me. We either, and by the way, with tithing, this is what I always say, this is the one place in the scripture that God says to test him, test him and see if God's a liar. Don't excuse away the ability to let God bless your life in every way. Do you think my joy, the smile that I have, and I want you to go to where I'm at on 12 hours on Mondays and Tuesdays, and ask, I give you full permission to go in there and ask every person in that place about me. I do. Anytime, any of you, anywhere, I want you to start with the administration, and I want you to go and ask every patient. I give you full authority to do that. You ever a day that he's, how does he act when he's frustrated? What's he about? By the way, he's my pastor, and I want to know what he's like when he's not here. For just two short days a week. I give you full authority, every one of you, to do that. Do it a year from now, two, three, five, I don't care when you do it. You can do it tomorrow. Because... I want the testimony of others to be able to testify to the person that I am when you're not with me. Ask my family. I give you full authority to do it. I'm not ashamed. I don't have anything to hide. I want the world to know that the life I live is not mere speak. I want to live who I am. And the great thing about it is when I leave, I don't have to wonder, okay, uh, let me put on that guy. Um, let me think, where am I at now? What did I tell them? No. I'm able to say the truth because the truth is what I am, and I don't have to remember what lie I told and what scenario that I have to be working under right now. I know what that life was like. It's exhausting. Amen? There's nothing greater, though, than when you're able to live who you are everywhere you're at, and that's what we should as Christians be. We should recognize, repent, and turn and realize that's the only fix when we've got a mess. We've got to remember that idolatry is ever so innocently. We've got to watch every single avenue with which it can creep in our lives. And then third and final thing comes out of that last part again. One more time. Turn your faces away from all those detestable things. And then that third and final principle is this. Establishing protections is the only prevention. And we close with that. Establishing protections from idolatry is the only prevention. How do you do that? You start off with what I share perpetually, continually. Take every thought captive to the will of Christ. Every thought. You get yourself involved in accountability. You hear what I say when I say, how did Jesus send people out? Two by two. Whether you, believe, you do not have to believe it, I don't care if you do. We are not supposed to be alone. We're not.
I'm a loner. I'm just like that. I don't need people. You just keep telling yourself that. I'm going to just tell you right to your face. You're lying to yourself. God created you relational, and you can lie to yourself all day long. You're lying. Whether you know it or not, you were not created to be a loner. You were created to be in fellowship, number one, with God, and number two, your family, and number three, his people. You can continue to tell me, I just ask that you put a video camera on you 24 hours a day, give it to no one else, and give it to me, and I'll find out the reason that you desire to be alone. I promise you. You can lie and say, oh, that's all the tape. No, you just give it long enough, and I will prove to you no one lives 100% victorious alone. Don't. You don't. The enemy loves us to believe that conceptually. Why? Because he loves when you're on that internet by yourself. He loves it. I'm not going down that road any farther. You know what I'm talking about. He knows the paralyzation that's occurring in the body of Christ systemically in the honest surveys that have been done among evangelical Christians. It's not pretty. But we can keep telling ourselves that. Or we can do what I'm telling you right now and establish protections to prevent living defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat in a perpetual cycle of defeat. Convincing ourselves that we're doing okay. I want victory. I would say you do, amen? I want victory. I don't want to tell myself a lie so long that I begin to believe the lie. I want victory, but I know how victory happens. Victory happens when we are walking in victory in Jesus. When you surround yourself with people, I don't want anybody with me when I go somewhere. Take them, you'll get used to it. Trust me, I know. I have a 20-minute on Monday and 20 minutes on Tuesday, 20 minutes on Wednesday, or sorry, 20 minutes on Monday morning, 20 minutes Monday night, 20 minutes on Tuesday morning, 20 minutes on Tuesday night. That's the only time that I'm alone during the week. The rest of the time, someone's with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I wouldn't have any different now. You know why? You got to really work hard to do the wrong thing. And it's not easy. If you want to do something you shouldn't do, you have to work at it. When you make your life in this, the, the scenario that it makes it like that, you have to the point in life where it's that you, <laughs> you don't want to get in trouble if you had to because the energy required to get in trouble is so overwhelming and exhausting. But what do you do? You are compelled to take every thought captive to the will of Christ because... It is so exhausting to go the other direction. That's what I'm talking about. Don't make excuses for why we want to be alone and why we should be alone. Try spending time with people. 
get in discipleship, spend time eating breakfast with someone in the week if you have the ability to do that. If not, find the ability to do that. Get accountability. Have texting. Have phone calls. Do those things. But again, I cannot force you and you can't force me to have those conversations and to have that accountability. But if you want victory, you're going to find a way starting tonight to get in those relationships so that you can take captive thoughts, attitudes, and actions that if nothing more will lead you to a place of compromise. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight, Lord, for your word. God, praise you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for our ability to see where the Israelites had failed so desperately, so terribly. And God, the judgment was falling on them in every respect. Thank you, Father, tonight as we look at the keys to getting victory, to getting freedom. And we know that that comes through repentance, but also recognizing how we end up in those positions in the first place. Lord, let us be people that look to the truth Look to your word, not compromise, Lord, not an unending reason why we should do what we want to do. But Father, how we can live and walk in the fullness of Christ, how we can live obedient, yielded lives, taking every thought captive to your will. God, may you be glorified as we go out into our mission fields. Empower us, strengthen us, guide us, direct us only how only you can. And may you alone be lifted up. Lord, I pray if there's one tonight watching online or in this building that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that not only have you convicted them of the fact that they are lost and without hope, but God, help them understand that Jesus died, bore their sin on the cross, three days later rose from the grave and is seated victoriously at the right hand of God the Father, and all they have to do is confess their sin, place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and ask you to cleanse, to save them, and to make them a born-again follower of Jesus Christ filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We commit all this to you, Lord, and we ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.